On this episode, the actual Fluency Podcast, I'm joined by New York-based Ellen Joven, who studied more than 17 languages in the last four years. Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast, the podcast that gives you the tools and inspiration to learn languages faster and more efficiently. And now your host, Chris Broholm. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second episode of the Actual Fluency Podcast. I'm really excited to bring you the second episode, uh, partly because I have a great guest on today, Ellen Joven, who you will hear very shortly. And partly because I had an amazing response from the first episode. In less than a day, it was downloaded over 50 times, and that's without putting it anywhere. Uh, I mean, I didn't want to put it on iTunes yet because I wanted to record a few episodes and, you know, see what people thought before I I put it out officially. So if you're listening to this uh, as it was released uh, in the late March, then you're, you're among the few know about this but thank you so much for listening it means the world to me and any comment or feedback that you send to me really motivates me to make it better with that out of the way it's time to address a little bit of news of course i have the podcast out which i discussed in the last episode but i've also started doing another show and this isn't a podcast but it is more of a a live show i'm doing this with a language friend whom i found on a facebook group and we called it the Chris and Chris Language Hour. And basically what we do is every Saturday or oh, sorry, Sunday, every Sunday evening in European time, we sit down and we do a Google Hangout live and we invite everyone who's interested in languages to come on and ask questions or, you know, just interact with us and, and say what's on your mind that day. And uh, we had the first recording is live. You can find it at actualfluency.com. Uh, in the top menu bar, there's a Chris and Chris language hour menu item, and you can see a recording on the first episode. And I must say, uh, the quality of the video is a little bit uh, on the on the bad side. You know, I'm recording this podcast with a with a hundred dollar microphone, so I know that at least my voice sounds a, a bit clear. But sadly, the Chris and Chris language hour had are using kind of a bad webcam so we're working on improving that quality but hopefully what you come to that show for is the quality of the conversation um, we also intend to bring on guests uh, my guest today ellen i already persuaded her to come and she promised she would stop by and if i do indeed get guests on it, it won't be an interview um, situation it will be more of a casual discussion you know just kind of a language lounge so if you haven't seen the the pilot, the first broadcast, I, I urge you to check it out. Actualfluency.com forward slash language hour if you want to type it in. Otherwise, you can find it in the top menu. And with that being said, I, I think it's time to get to the Ellen Joven segment. And before I do, let me just give you a, a brief introduction. I, I got to know Ellen through a Facebook group. And I'm a member of a lot of language learning Facebook groups. Um, but Ellen actually contacted me saying, uh, I see you speak Danish. I see you're interested in, in learning languages. We have this group with two and a half thousand people. And it seems like nobody has registered as a Danish native. Would you be interested in coming on and, and, and register? I mean, it's nothing official or anything. And of course, I said yes, because I love to, you know, a Danish is a very limited 
uh, interest to most people. Most people are interested in the bigger languages or the more obscure languages, and Danish kind of falls in between uh, in that crack where it's not interesting because it's not very exotic, and the country itself is, you know, in the northern Europe. So although we have an interesting history, there's nothing, you know, there's no good weather or beaches or any of, any of that kind of stuff that would usually attract tourists. Um, and then, you know, six million people speak it, so it's not like um, Icelandic that's only spoken by a fraction of that. So it's not it's not obscure enough, but at the same time, it's not really widely used enough to to be interesting. And the country itself, I mean, I, I'm saying this as a Danish person living in Denmark, I couldn't see why anyone would learn it uh, to be able to visit Denmark because, I mean, I just don't see what there is. Of course, we have some cultural heritage and everything. But I digress. Uh, Ellen Joven uh, from New York and a very passionate language learner. And I urge you all to, uh, to listen what she has to say because I think she gives a lot of, of good lessons. So without further ado, let me um, let me introduce you to the interview. I'm so excited to welcome Ellen Joe into the podcast today. How are you today, Ellen? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having no me, Chris. No problem. And I know what who you are and what you're doing, but maybe there are some listeners out there who don't quite know just who Ellen Joven is. Could you give like a brief introduction to yourself and what you do these days? Sure. Um, my background is as a writer and a teacher of sorts. I uh, was a freelance, full-time freelance writer for a number of years. And then I started a business with my husband where we do communication skills training for businesses. This is in English. Um, but I go gallivanting around from company to company, running classes in business writing, email etiquette and grammar, all in English. Um, and then I have on top of that starting, uh, it's actually nearly five years ago now, a language project slash blog where I serially study different languages um, spoken by large numbers of New Yorkers. Um, well, some of them are spoken by large numbers of New Yorkers. Most of them are, but they're, sp they're important to the history or the present, the past or the present of New York City. And um, so it's sort of a New York in language kind of story that has um, spiraled out of control and taken over every waking minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So, um, I mean, how, how do you motivate yourself? I mean, I like to start the interviews with if you have any kind of success quote or, you know, some really good thing that kind of keeps you motivated. Well, I, it's a strange thing because I was away from foreign language for nearly two decades, actually. Um, I, I really was spending all my time either teaching thing, teaching courses or writing, and all, it was in, it was all in English. Um, and then I just suddenly I was looking around for uh, things to write about that related to language. I wanted to do more writing again. I wanted to do more in a realm that fascinated me. And I was initially looking primarily at English, at um, the history of the history of English, at English grammar. And I said, suddenly one day I was out running in Central Park. I thought, well, no, I forget English. <laughs> I've had enough of English. Let me instead look at a number of new, uh, of languages. Um, 
in short bursts, but, you know, pick one at a time and just see how far I can get in a couple, in a couple months or so. And, um, write about the features of the language, get a better sense of the global world of communication, because I actually felt that my, my understanding of the way people, people communicated with one another was very, um, parochial, very limited. I, I, you know, okay. I'm used to the subject, verb, object, order of English. How are other people doing it? What did all those, what were, what was behind all the writing systems I saw around New York that, um, right. that, that I couldn't read. And so I just, so you were curious yeah, in, I was in another, curious. In and I, I don't know. I just, I also, it's something even more than that, I guess it's, uh, there's sort of a built in fascination for me with how um, you know, I don't even know. It's so, it's, it's almost like, it's like, it's almost, it's almost like a religious reverence. And I think for, for language and I, Mm -hmm. I think I've had it my whole life. It's manifested itself in different ways, but a lot of the people that I know that frequent language boards and are compulsive students of language, um, I think would say a similar kind of thing that there's just something magical about it. Um, right. that infects them. It's like a disease. <laughs> <laughs> a good one. <laughs> so, I mean, how did, how on earth did you get started? I mean, you said that you had this long hiatus and then you come back and then you're like, I want to learn a lot of languages. Was that how you started or did you have a plan or yes, well, like, how did you do? And just, I, I always feel I have to be very responsible about the terminology that I use. I, I, I say, that I study the languages because when I use the word learn, I think it's, you know, it's used differently in different languages, those terms. But I, I feel as though when I say I learn them, that it sounds like I can run around and speak 17 languages. And that is so far right. from the truth. So I just want to make sure that, that, that everyone knows that and that that is how I'm presenting yeah. it. Um, but you know, just learning, seeing how far I can get with one language for a couple months and then I go on to the next one. And if I don't do anything with the first one, like most normal human beings, <laughs> I tend to forget. Um, right. but for some reason, this doesn't trouble me the way it seems to trouble other people. So, Whoa, so anyway, the, um, you asked how I got started. Yeah. Like, well, how did you wake up one day and say, what, what changed since you just overnight kind of said, now I want to start working on languages because it seems like you did kind of a very intensive, you know, you say these four years or so, it seems like you had pretty much the whole year dedicated to, was it three or four different languages? Yes. I, I, it was very intensive and I have hardly, there's one period I think where I took um, a month and a half, <clears throat> excuse me, a month and a half off. That was after Polish. Sorry, right. sorry, Polish. Hard um, <laughs> <laughs> <Bad> language. <laughs> but that was that was. Um, but generally, I've done I've done work on this every single day of you right. know for the last almost five years. Uh, you know, some days very little, depending on what my schedule is. But you know, then there are days where it's basically dawn to to not dawn to dusk. It's more than dawn to dusk. It'll be dawn to the time I go to bed. And right. um, so the. It, I don't know. I think there was something brewing in me. I had been, I really had been looking for a subject that would, that I would latch onto in the realm of language. So I actually, I'm sitting near a file cabinet in my office right now. As we talk, um, the file cabinet is, (laughs) the bottom drawer is full of all these old English grammar books. I mean, Uh grammar books, old grammar books for English, where I was reading, um, very extensively about English, um, for some months before I 
settled on the foreign language thing. And I don't really know how that happened, but I can say that a lot of my ideas over the last four years have come to me while I've been running. And I really believe in the power of, for me, um, physical activity and energy connects with mental energy a lot. Right. And so Tim Ferriss says that as well. Pardon? I mean, in his, uh, Tim Ferriss says that as well in his, um, I can't remember if it was for our work week or for our um, chef, but he says that he felt like when he had in school a day with, with PE, you know, physical exercise, that the subjects he had immediately following that, he tended to do better in. Really? So, yeah. So I do so I much mean, better if I like, if I do a language lesson while I'm walking in Central Park, uh, I I do much better. Almost almost a hundred right. almost a hundred percent of the time. I mean, there are always exceptions where you just feel, yeah, you know, whatever's going on in your head. But um, and running, even running, running's a little more strenuous. So I right. some of these language lessons, you know, it's like you're trying to pronounce Arabic sounds <laughs> while you're <laughs> while you're breathing hard and running up a hill. It's a little easier if I'm walking. But, yeah, but, maybe people get scared as well if you run around shouting Arabic words. I, yeah, well, it, um, I I try to manage the volume a little bit, but some of the you know some sounds are hard to pronounce unless you get a little volume behind them when they're really of course, you yeah, can't yeah. exactly whisper them. No, but it was really <laughs> weird. I was actually I, I I think I remember where I was on the east side of Central Park, like probably in the seventies on the night of June 30th, 2009, when this idea popped into my head. And this is really how, you know, this is really how it works. So all of a sudden I said, right. oh my God, that's it. And I ran home. And then the next morning I went to the New York <laughs> Public Library and I picked a language and I started that day. And so that's and the day that funny my fact. began. A funny fact. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, please you, do interrupt. We, I must interrupt we, it. <laughs> Sometimes I uh, also started with Russian. You did. So how did yeah, you pick it? Um, I picked it because I played a video game that had a big Russian user base. <laughs> Are you uh, but apart, pretty arbitrary, yeah. But I just, yeah, I could have uh, rolled the dice or something. But you know, that's, yeah, I picked. Go ahead. I'm Russian. sorry. So, um, so that's one thing we have in common. How how well is your Russian now? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, no, because so Russian was, you know, that was um, July and August of 2009. And I have done virtually nothing with it since. But right. but actually two two nights ago or a night ago, I don't remember. I st- I got I, I reinstalled the Pimsleur lessons for Russian and I just right. began doing them. So I'm I'm. I'm, it's interesting. This is actually right now I'm cycling. I'm starting to cycle through some of the languages again. So I'm right. seeing what happens when I go back and how much I remember. And right. the residue, it varies. I seem to have very little residue for Hindi, I must say. But um, the, resi- <laughs> the residue for Russian and for Arabic, which were the first two that I worked on, it's there. So when I do the lessons again, um, there, there are some things that pop up that I think I have no recoll- recollection of that at all. Did that really happen to me? But then there are other things that sound very familiar and the sounds are easier to form the second time around. And I haven't gone very far with this, but I, I am kind of curious to see where I end up. And may I just add one thing? I'm totally impractical, you know, in a lot of ways. So this, this is not a thing that I would ever recommend that a human being do. There's not really a practical, 
there's some people in the language learning community who, for good reason, I mean, people should be working on this. They're very practical about how you best, you know, how people can learn a language quickly and go off and speak it. And I think for me, I'm much more of a hedonist. I'm much more motivated by pleasure and what I feel like doing in the moment. So I think that while I am fairly, um, I think I'm pretty efficient at learning. It's not really the number one goal for me. It's more just this absolute um, overwhelming delight when something, when I'm learning a new bit of grammar. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> See, that's probably a difference for, between us because I I would prefer as little grammar as humanly possible. But you probably know, do you, you probably know a lot of grammar, do you? Yeah, I mean, we Because you we grew get up in a tradition through. where actually I think you really learn it. Yeah, of course. I mean, we have uh, English in grade two and German in grade six, so... And, and that's, you learn them in a very grammatical way. I mean, do they go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we don't we don't really have that here. I mean, people get really? it depending on the schools. You know, if you go to certain schools, you're gonna get very rigorous training. But a lot of, in general, I would say that 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 it's not a very significant part of American education. And so I get adults in my when I when I teach my business writing classes, I have people in them. Most of them are Americans, maybe you know American born native English right. speakers, probably about seventy five percent. But I'd say about twenty five percent are from other parts of the world. So the people from other parts of the world tend to be more, and it depends on which part you're talking about. But they tend to know more about grammar. And if I start talking about right. a verb, which I don't usually do in a writing class, but if I did. They are all over it. Whereas I have people in my, you know, native-born Americans who cannot find a verb in a sentence. That is right. that, and that I think surprises a lot of people from other countries when they. I mean, they I, realize I have planned to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I said when they when people, you know, I have like some of my Russian students. They can they can tear apart the sentence grammatically right. in a way that the Americans could never do. They make mistakes. The Russians make mistakes. But they'll probably say, why are you using so many words? <laughs> yeah. But but they don't have Americans often don't have the vocabulary or the sense of structure. You you are in a position where you can be complacent now because you know all this stuff. You have a sense for it, even if you don't really think about it. I bet you. And I left it behind. <laughs> You've left it behind. You're too grown up for that. I'm still living in my childhood. <laughs> oh, that's nice. If you can re rediscover that joy, then yeah. Um, but if you, I mean, you talked a little bit about how you're in no way able to speak, so to speak, 17 languages. But if you do a language for three months, how far would you typically get? I think that's... It depends, on the, lang really it depends on the language. And, um, you know, my, huge, my, my biggest success story with the project was Italian, which is not going to be probably a big shock that it was a language like that, which has a, it has a lot in common with English and then with other Romance languages, which I had already studied. Sure. But um, for example, with that one, I knew maybe 10 words in Italian, um, maybe eight. I've, I listed them, I, whatever it was, I listed them on my blog when I started. I, you know, I'm not, I didn't include things like rigatoni or something. It was, but, um, and Pasta. I started from zero. And so at the end of three months, I took a test with a testing service that's based somewhere in the U.S. I think they're around D.C. or something. And it's not, you know, it's not a fancy test with many hours. Like, you know, it's not it's probably not the most 
reliable in terms no, no, compared no, to some other ones, but they tested. So I tested higher than I had in languages that I'd studied for years in school. So I was tested. Yeah. They, they decided I was, and this is not, I don't agree. I don't happen to agree with this assessment, but I'm just telling you, I was able on a test to do this. They, they rated me 11 out of 12 on writing, which was near flu, they wow. near fluent. And then on my speaking. So this is a phone interview. They ask you questions. So you're just on, you're on a phone. You don't have the social cues. I think phone is a little bit hard in a foreign language. Um, sure. Yeah. But so on the phone, I, I scored, they gave me a 10 out of 12. And I, wow. I, I think I maybe got that in, uh, in German, which I majored in in college. Right. And then, you know, so I studied it for years and I spoke it from when I was age two to age four. So I have, even though I don't speak, I don't speak at all like a native, there's some, feeling for it in me. So, so when, when I put my mind to it, I think I can do pretty well, but that is, but that my experience with something like Korean was so radically different. You know, that was almost nothing at the end of it. I couldn't really do that. I mean, I, I couldn't have had, I, I had, I had little brief snatches of exchanges with people in, right. in Korean neighborhoods here, but it wasn't, um, it, it's too mysterious for me. So for me, I, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to suffer. I want to go to normal pace where I feel happy and comfortable. So right. I sort of experiment with the writing system and I practice, you know, I do the Pimsleur lessons that are available cause I just happen to love those. And then I, um, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to do what I can, but it's very, it, it's so different. And, and, right. and you know, the learning materials available for major European languages here are ex- there's an extraordinary array. So it's just harder. Like Korean people, t- a language like Korean, people tend to take a class. So the materials right. to teach yourself are not as good usually. And that and the writing system, of course, is like a completely different story. It is, but it's really, I think, a lot of times, I, I, and I think a lot of the the people in the very serious language learning community have experienced this. If you're studying, um, you know, if you're studying an endangered language or a language that's just not studied that often, the quality of the materials is much lower. And as soon as that happens, your ability to learn fast declines. Right. You you can find you you have to then really make an effort to find partners. But for me, I learned very. I have to really learn. I have to have a supportive writing framework, you know, reading and writing to support the oral work for me to feel comfortable in my head. And if it's not available, it's not available. So my I don't right. like my Korean materials. If someone wants to send me some great links, I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll try again. Give me something else. But that's, I mean, that's a really good point to bring up is that language learning should never be forced or feel like a chore. It should be, you should enjoy it. And if that language, for whatever reason, be it the material is, you know, not interesting or you just don't like the the way it sounds, then you shouldn't really force yourself to do it anyway. I mean, there's no reason to. No. And I find that question fascinating too. the, the question of what, how you pick the language that you study. Right. Um, you know, sometimes I see questions online, should I do this language or this language? And the methods that people use to analyze that choice, they're very different. So some people are very, they're very practical, right? They're, they're saying, oh, well, this is spoken by, you know, 200 million people, whereas this other one is 5 million. So, you know, that one's, or, but and I think sometimes for me, those considerations are relevant. It would probably be a little hard for me to study a language that had, 
I think personally, at least at this point, I might change my mind about this later. I don't know how you feel about this, but if there were a thousand speakers of a language, I probably wouldn't study it. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I, I wrote about it on my blog that I, I'm practical first. So you are. the language that I, yeah, <laughs> the language I, I go for first is one that has a some kind of broad appeal. I mean, I think I listed something like Russian and Mandarin as the kind of the top contenders because there are just so many speakers. Um, but but more importantly, I feel like is that the speakers of those languages are often not able to speak, let's say, English or another. Well, definitely not German. But, you know, so if I was to learn, say, Italian or French, they do speak a little bit of English in, in those countries, being European countries. So even though the, those are the go-to languages usually, I, I think I rate something like Mandarin or uh, Russian higher because of that uh, fact. I think that's very interesting. I, I think also you can find that a language that initially seems maybe not that seductive can draw you in. And I like that too, you know, like, Oh yeah. I was really afraid of Chinese and, <laughs> and I, I put it off year after. So it was on the calendar for the first year because initially uh-huh. my project was supposed to be a year. Um, and then, but then when I expanded the project to two years, I put it in the second year. <laughs> and then when I expanded to three years, I moved to the third year. So it kept traveling. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I felt really guilty about it because it's so, you know, it's so central and there's so, I mean, there's so many Chinese speakers in New York. It's, it's a very right. big influence in our culture here. And um, so finally, and I'm not, I'm not very happy with, my achievements in Chinese, but what I found, what was interesting when I started looking more closely at it was that there were, there were surprises. The grammar was way easier than I expected. Um, The word order was way easier. There were things that, and and you can in fact find plenty of comments from language learners that, Oh, Chinese is, is easy. And that's so, that so contradicts everything that I think people in the West are told about it, you know, people who speak a, a Latin based, a language with a right. Latin based alphabet. And, um, and I also yeah. liked, I also felt connected to the, the culture in ways that surprised me and, and were lovely. Right. Yeah. It opens new, new doors, like very, very new doors because it's such a unique culture and, you know, they have their own uh, different cultural traditions and just social, you know, if you're in a Chinese, uh, if you're in the companionship of a Chinese person, they act differently and you can see that all the time. But if you don't know about the language or the culture, then you, it's kind of a, a mystery or an enigma, as you might call it. I feel very, very shut out of a culture if I have no idea about the language. And I think some people right. feel that less than others. They can go travel. They can go. They can go traveling and look around and appreciate things without having access to that. I feel as though I get so distracted by my lack of access that it's very hard for me to approach it at all. So it's almost like an all or nothing mentality. Um, but for, so for me, it's really made studying language. I am very into the technical aspects of language. So people ask me often, well, is this, you know, how is this connected to your cultural understanding and so on? I think, I think compared Mm -hmm. to some people, I'm a little slower on that front, but I think that the language in terms of absorbing new cultural ideas, I just feel like I have to have the language first or have elements of the language in place before I can really feel 
that the doors open. Right. It's just sort of, a, I think it's a little bit of an OCD thing, to be honest. <laughs> well, maybe there's something there. I don't know. Well, I, I think it is. I really, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing about it, but that wouldn't, I would not be the only person in the um, compulsive language community who has um, aspects of that in their lives. I believe that as well. <laughs> um is there anything you regret about the way you did it? I mean, you 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 kind of did the a lot of languages a little bit of time. Do you regret sometimes that you didn't follow through with say one one language a year and then getting let's say above social fluency or social fluency? Um, I have no regrets at all. First of all, I'm not very big on um, the looking. I try to learn from my mistakes, but I did exactly what I wanted to do. I feel ecstatic about it. And I see that it has just opened doors for all kinds of future explorations. And I'll go back to languages that I, I touched on, you know, you know what, I really wanted to have a survey kind of in my head and that, that is, that's what I achieved. So I picked a bunch of language families, a bunch of writing systems. I didn't learn, I did not study Chinese characters, by the way. That I just felt was so overwhelming a task that yeah. I, I, have, I saved that for, I, I looked at it and then I just realized I better just try to work on, I, I used, you know. I, you just speak and understand yeah, and then you, yeah, that's, I, you I, really so, want to. So maybe, all right, so maybe that, I maybe that I wish I had done a little bit more work on. But guess what? I have my future ahead of me. And I'm going to go back to ones that I really enjoyed and felt most drawn to and then see where that takes me. But in general, my choices for this are going to be motivated by what I feel like doing because I can't do it any other way. (laughs) And, and, And the thing you're saying is also that you're not trying to put it into a system where you have three months of learning and then maybe a year or two down the line, you go back to it for three months to kind of, you know, bring it up to some level. You're basically just going back to explore and see where it takes you. You're not putting everything into boxes or systems. And that's kind of a very, I think that's a very refreshing way of looking at the whole language learning. You do? I think a lot I'm of people, so happy to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> because I think a lot of people are obsessed about finding the the right method or the right kind of the the one one uh, way to learn languages, that the ultimate easiest way. And I think at the end of the day, if you do that, you're not going to be as motivated if you just do how you feel like, like you say, uh, all the time. And does that mean that you, you, you're you not going to be fluent in, in a few languages, but you know them a little bit? Yeah. And so what? That's what you feel like doing. So why not do it? I think, well, that's how I feel. And I think um, eventually that I will be, I will acquire to um, a high level more languages. But if that, even if that didn't happen, I really think it's going to happen. So I'm not actually particular, but, but I'm not, <laughs> but I don't have this idea, you know, Oh, I want to have, you know, C2 in eight languages. I don't, right, right. I really don't care about that. And, um, if someone handed it to me as a gift tomorrow, I would accept the gift. <laughs> if right, someone right, yeah. wanted to wrap up, um, eight languages at a high level and give them to me, I will accept. So Please keep right. that in mind. Anyone who hears this, <laughs> I will not return the gift, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and, um, I also, just as a side note, I, I'm very interested in, um, reviewing products. So that's really for me, a big part of what I do. Like I, right. I mean, I, I've studied 
a lot of German. I can't say that I actually think my German is in tip top shape right now because I haven't been using it much, but, um, you know, all these things come and go. But anyway, my point, that's not my point. My point is that I ha- I'm looking right now, as I talk to you at one, two, three, about nine different German products that I want to really? use and write about. And so I'm sort of on a mission to be like the, to be the product reviewer, to be, right. to be, to, I am a product reviewer. I think that my collection of product reviews is probably one of the biggest yeah, I've seen it. online. It's, it's, quite, it's, it's quite impressive actually. Even from the, you know, Mrs. Uh, Johnson's bookshop on the 23rd street or whatever you call the streets over there you know, <laughs> to the uh, biggest audio courses. <laughs> You know, well, that's quite funny. Thank you. Well, so anyway, I want to just keep making that bigger. I really, I really enjoy reviewing products and I also really get kind of annoyed when bad products are marketed as good products. So right. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like I, I want to be the, a little bit of a, uh, I don't know. What's the cynical critical. <sighs> Well, of course, I want to have a warm, happy, fuzzy feeling about all this. But when (laughs) people are blowing hot air about their products and they really kind of stink, I want to say that. And I also want to get more attention for products that are earnest and well-intentioned and maybe don't have a huge marketing budget. I I mean, it really it's very meaningful. I I don't know that I have, um, um, you know, so I want to extend my reach and give give more right. of a voice to those because that's what people should be buying. Not the thing that they've just heard about the most because they have all the ads everywhere. And that, yeah. And you, you talk a lot about sort of traditional books. Um, what do you think about the newer wave of language learning tools, such as the, uh, you know, the online services like the Memrise and the Enkeys and the, the links. I, um, to, I, I am a little reluctant to admit this on, your show, but I'm going to admit it. I still have done the Anki, Anki, Anki. How do you have to yeah, say Anki? I don't know. Um, I, I'm obsessed with Memrise right now to the point that I'm not sleeping properly. And I love Memrise. <laughs> I mean, but I, but that's the same as Anki though. So is it? If you, yeah, except you yeah, create except your own stuff though, right? With You can create your own stuff in Memrise. Oh, well, right. It's all user, it's all user contributed content. Yeah. It? I mean, the, and it's the, amazing, isn't it? Like my Russian course, some, Russian girl put up 500 words and spoke them all into a microphone for absolutely nothing. Is that how they are? Is that where all the audio is coming from? Just people. Speaking? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I'm listening. I've used, um, right. So some of those modules are really, really good. And some of them really stink, just like any website right. with user contributed content. So <laughs> yeah. I found a Russian one that I'm using, that I started using also two nights ago or so. So you can see, I'm just returning to oh, it. I, this is my- we should, uh, we should, we should, um, what is it? Friend up or whatever they call it. And we can be on the leaderboard, see who gets the most All points. Right. I, I think you might <laughs> have a little bit of a head start on me, but I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do there. I am, yeah. I am a membrane. I just want you to know that. Oh, well, then you're probably above me. I think I'm um, something. Mem- Memtroverse. I don't know. Just but, came up with that. But um, I, there's a free, there are frequency course, you know, frequency dictionaries. So the words that are used the most, some of, right. a lot of those modules, I think, are the best for different languages. And, um, but my problem is that I can't put it away. It's like a video game. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. I know, I just want to tell you one more thing. The, um, the you said that the rush you were using a video game with a lot of Russian users. Right. One thing that I've heard, and I don't know if this is true 
because people are always wondering, what do you do with your languages when you acquire them? You know, what can you do professionally? One thing I've heard, and I haven't really investigated because the world of video games is very mysterious to me and will probably remain so, <laughs> is that um, language skills are very useful in that market because of the international reach of some of the games. So I don't know if that's yeah. true, but maybe if you study foreign language, you can be, or maybe if you study multiple foreign languages, you can be a video game god. Yeah, of course. And there's, it's it, it's a bit of a niche. You know, they have big tournaments and stuff and all the tournaments have um, transmissions in, in different languages. So there is definitely a lot of material to go by. And I do listen to some of those. Like I watch the video game somebody else is playing and then there's a Russian commentator. So it sounds like, you know, football or uh, baseball are going completely funny. crazy. And and of course, it's like almost Dubai, Dubai, Dubai. And, uh, you know, it's it's great fun. And I, I don't understand much yet, but <laughs> I assume if I just, uh, well, Dubai, I understand, right? But if I just keep going, then I assume I'll get some more. But I don't, I don't think you... Uh, you if anyone listening out there and it's like, oh yeah, I love video games. I should learn languages so I can become like, you know, the, the it's called esports usually when it's a bit more professional. Oh, okay. um, I should be I an esports interpreter. But I, I don't think there's enough because the funny thing is, I mean, the reason I learned English at a very young age was because of video games. Really? So no way. if you do... Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, it's, I mean this is a, a completely uh, tangent story, but... I started, I changed my, uh, you know, your inner voice. You you, th you have an inner voice in, in a language for you, maybe English, I don't know. Yeah. But um, it used to be Danish for me. But one day when I was 11, I was walking home from school and snap, it just changed to English. And I hadn't, hadn't looked back since. Um, and I attribute that to video games and also shows like, you know, friends and stuff because we don't dub them. So you get all the stuff over here. And you just breed multilinguals at a very young age. It's very, it's really an, an amazing thing. I think it is hard, uh, harder to be a polyglot type of person in the United States. I mean, yeah, monolingualism is a quite a big problem. I mean, I've seen it on the news a few times where they're like, and you said it as well that your American clients and are, are worse in in the grammar and the basics of language. Right, and means. you would think that if you only know one language, that you would damn sure know what the aspects of it was, you know? Well, I mean, I we have to face two or three <laughs> at, at a very young age, so... Yeah, well, I think when you when you learn a foreign language, you tend to start to think about... Your, a lot of people here have told me that when they study Spanish for the first time, they finally understand English grammar. That's often where they get right. their best instruction in it. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Maybe you don't think so much about grammar until you actually... It's unselfconscious it. then. You're just, you know, you're just using it, but... Yeah, that's it. that's really interesting. And of course, you're you're fortunate enough to live in the perhaps the most multicultural city in the world. I've heard. I think it's in the it's either the most or it's way up there in the running. <laughs> yeah. Oh, London is also quite. Uh, I lived in London, so I'm familiar with a lot of cultures there. Um, but it must be such a joy to. I mean, I I. I for, let me just say your blog is really amazing and it really shows that you have this passion for writing because every blog post is not just like oh yeah i went to this russian library i got this book blah 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 which sometimes happens for my blog post but yours is almost always a story you know it's always like a start and an end and it's almost it's just flowing and you make it seem so easy. Oh, Chris, that's Teach a very me. that's a very nice comment. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure it's entirely true, but I appreciate I appreciate <laughs> I'm I'm now reviewing some entries in my head as you say that. But anyway, I do I do try to 
make it engaging. And it's, um, it's something that is such a, a, a love to me that I, I mean, I wish I had more hours to write in fact. Right. And there was a talk about a book as well. I mean, you, you, you wrote some, uh, some helpful uh, books for the business on your business website, but there was talk about a specific language learning book, right? At some point. Right. I think I, I have an idea in, in my head that's sort of, Oh, I'm sorry. My, my phones, I forgot about the phones. Um, uh, I have <laughs> sort of my, I've sort of mutated a little bit the, the approach that I think I'm going to take on it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but that will be a piece of it. The language learning. It, so it will be, I have a language related for. idea in my head that I'm developing right now. Right. Yeah. But it will also contain some piece of your own story, I assume. Yes. That's yes. that's good. I mean, I, I'm I'm jealous, I must say. The fact that you can just, you know, this is Russian day, and then you go to the Russian quarter or neighborhood or whatever you call it, and then you just go into a Russian bookshop and find some Russian stuff. That's <laughs> must be incredible, right? It is it is really incredible. I think the good news though, in in I think there's nothing like experiencing things right in front of you in physical real life. But I do, I do think that for language learning, and I didn't appreciate this so much uh, four or five years ago when I started, but for people in any corner of the world now, the internet is making those kinds of connections. um, So, so easy, so easy. And, you know, I know people who, um, one of the people who, reads my blog, I think is in Tennessee and people think he's nuts for learning languages. They don't understand it. He picks, you know, he picks some that some that are no, you know, there's no one around him that even knows them, but he can, he can connect with people around the world if he wants, if he wants, if he wants that to happen, that's there for him. And what a, what a miracle and what a wonderful thing that is. I think, you know, my, my, what I'm envisioning, like one of my little fantasies is that for I, I actually have this thing. I want to go running around to senior centers and encourage more elderly people to study oh. languages because they can they can seriously they can be bedridden and you know sort of lonely, but they can hop on a computer now and Skype with someone in Indonesia and try you know they could try Indonesian and see what happens. Right. It's great for their minds and it makes the world so much bigger. I, I just think that's a miracle. It's incredible, yeah. Or smaller, maybe, in, yeah. in, even. Right. It makes their <laughs> world, but it, exactly, it makes the world yeah. smaller. But the room, the room they're occupying, suddenly is you know has inter- the international bound- borders dissolve, and they have the whole world yeah. before them. And I, I just think that would be a way for so many people in in their senior years to stay connected. This isn't just a young person's uh, sport. No, no, it's not at it's all for everyone. And that's that's one of the myths that I hope can. Um, be busted more by the by the prevalence of web-based learning and chatting tools. Yeah, I can totally recommend a website called Interpals. I don't know if you know about I've it. I've heard about it, but I haven't used it. What can you? Is, it's is it, basically it's not, just a pen pal. It's not for dating. No, no. I mean, that is a very tiny checkbox that says I'm also interested in romance, but it is a pen pal site. Mm-hmm. And um, the funny thing was, I I, I logged on and I finished my profile and I was searching for Russian speakers um yeah basically just Russian speakers and then I put in my own age bracket just you know I thought it would be easier to relate to people around my own age and I found not one but two Russian girls who also were fluent in German so now I'm learning about Russian in German wow 
So that's, I mean, how can you, can you imagine that uh, some time ago, finding that kind of connection? I mean, it, and it was just so easy and there are millions of people on that side. It's so. re that's really amazing. See, that's why we have to, if we're going to get the seniors involved, we have to get a bunch of them on yeah. because people do tend to go for their own age range and all, <laughs> I feel sorry for the one 80 year old woman there. And, you know, we got, <laughs> we've got to get her some friends, but I yeah. think this is, a, this is something I hope I have time to work on in the next year alongside the many other obsessions. Yeah, you got some some projects going on, I must say. Um, <laughs> and another project, you're going to Europe this June. Oh, that's right. I am. You, uh, you signed up for the Polyglot Berlin. That's right. I'm going to be there. And I will as well. So I will look forward to seeing you in real life. Yeah, yeah that would be very interesting. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun and a lot of interesting talks about uh, language learning. Um, but yeah, Interpals, I could definitely recommend. And I don't know if you have, a, I, of course, you have your blog. And if um, if any of the links that I mentioned, if people are interested, I'm, I put it on in the blog post that goes with this episode and it's episode two so that's actualfluency.com forward slash zero two just if you want to find uh, a link like interpels or some of the blog posts we talked about but as we're finishing up here do you have any kind of um, where can people find you what are you working on any shout outs you want to give <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm always working on my website, so they're certainly welcome to visit me there, ellenjobin.com. And I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. And and I um I do I am looking forward to meeting a bunch of crazed language learners at the at the conference in June. Yeah, is that going to be your first uh, polyglot, so to speak, conference? It is. I don't like the word polyglot. Why don't but, you like uh, it? Because I think it creates kind of an elitist uh, inner group that it shouldn't be. I well, I, I find that in, an interesting comment. I don't, I don't dislike the term, but I dislike applying it to myself because then I start measuring all the, my deficiencies immediately. You know, that's mm -hmm. I. I feel very. It's very. I don't like. I'm so particular about like English. I. I really. I feel that like I have a pretty good command of English, but I'm always. Definitely. <laughs> I would call you fluent. I, I think I, I think I'm fluent by now. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah, I just the whole I'm not really into the measurement thing. So people can you right. know, people can test me if they want when I when I get there and see how they think my skills are. But um, but I I'm not really. I also yeah, and, and I don't know how many languages that means and whatever. Yeah, and, and maybe if you studied seventeen of them, maybe you just don't honestly have any idea like how many of those are you fluent and can you just say that immediately i mean i wouldn't i can i know what i can have a conversation right now without totally without having problems and and those are the ones that i've spent more time on which are german german french spanish and then if you give me a month i think i would be okay in italian and if you gave me three two months or three Danish. months then maybe portuguese as well but um but I'm pretty aware of my limitations and, you know, I don't think as a, you don't get partial credit for language. So either you, you know, you speak it or you don't like, you don't get right. to say, I speak, um, one, you know, I speak one tenth of what a speaker can, can do in, uh, a, like a fluent speaker can do in Spanish. And I do that for 10 languages. So right. that counts as a language that doesn't work. No, of course not. But maybe that's your, that's kind of the whole, uh, 
point of it is that some people see languages as a means to communication, but you don't necessarily. I don't want to talk to anyone, Chris. <laughs> You're only interested in the grammar. Well, that's that's no, fine. I mean, I, no, but you know what I mean. I tried to learn a language to speak it, and that that means that I can't just do three months. I'm doing this for Russian for some stupid reason, but that's because the Polyglot Berlin conference is coming up, and I wanted to challenge myself. And you know, but I don't have a fixed time period usually. Um, so I I'm aiming for social uh, fluency, like you mentioned before. I'm not. I'm not as fascinated by grammar and individual um, structure as you are. So for me, it's a little bit different, but I think that's the whole takeaway is that you need to find your angle when you're learning languages and why are you doing it? Definitely. Because if you can't answer the why, then the how is really, really difficult. That's a very good point. I do. I would just like to say that if I could speak fluently, my languages, I would really like that. <laughs> and the ones that I can, sure. I, and the ones that I can, I get a great deal of pleasure out of. I mean, there's, for me, it's, it's so much fun to jump around, like to, I've done volunteering in New York where I've been able to, um, speak six languages in a morning or something like that. And to, for me, that is such a mental pleasure. And my, my right. hope is that I'll be able to do that more and for more, you know, better and for more languages down the road. But absolutely. Um, I think that I get pleasure out of certain obscure things that don't give pleasure to other people. And we're all individuals. We have to right. appreciate our strengths and outsmart our shortcomings. And on that bombshell, it's, I think it's time to end, <laughs> sadly. But it's been a, a great pleasure and we could talk for hours and I'm looking forward to doing just that in June. But Ellen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and thank you for coming aboard this uh, early ride of my podcast. We'll see how it goes. But uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. It was wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. For more information, be sure to check out actualfluency.com. Until next time, enjoy learning and have a great day.